Good morning, everybody. If we haven't yet met, my name is Tom, and I am on staff at a church called The Creek, Indian Creek Christian Church on the southeast side of Indianapolis. I want to welcome those who are joining us online, and especially anyone who's newer in the room. Uh, welcome. It is good to have you here. It is good to be together with Lebanon Christian Church. Uh, I'm not a stranger to this place. Love this church and grateful for what God is doing in and through you all. Um, I wanted to read a story to you that I found online. I thought this was interesting. It's a story about a musician who tried to sell his soul on eBay to get some money for some music instruments. Okay, and so uh, eBay shut the auction down pretty quick. Uh, they would not let this guy sell his soul. And here's what they said about this auction. They said, if the soul does exist, then we cannot allow people to sell any part of themselves. If the soul does not exist, we cannot allow the auction because there would be nothing to sell. What's interesting about how eBay responded to this person trying to sell their soul is that they would not verify the existence of a human soul. When Jesus was asked by some rulers and, and teachers of the law, what's the most important commandment? Jesus responded to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all of your strength. And we can understand, I think, what it means to love God with our heart and with our mind and our strength. But for our time together this morning, I know you guys are in this series on spiritual disciplines. I think this will be uh, very fitting. I want to talk about what it means to love God with our soul. What is the soul? Why is it important that we love God with our soul? And how exactly do we do that? Before we dive into what God's word has to say about that, I need to make a confession. I have been a follower of Jesus for 35 years, and I've been a pastor for over 25 years. And until recently, everything I thought about the soul was at best incomplete and at worst completely wrong. And it started with a bedtime prayer I learned as a child, and maybe you learned this too. We're going to have a little interaction now. I'm going to start this prayer, and if you know how it goes, I need you to fill in the blanks with me, all right? We're gonna, you're, you're, gonna, you're with me? We're going to do this out loud together? Here, here's how the prayer starts. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord right my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Can we pause for a second and say how morbid of a prayer that is to teach a young child? I mean, good night, little Timmy. We're going to say our prayers now. If you die in your sleep, God's going to take your soul. Sleep tight, right? I mean, like, that's such a morbid prayer. But it begins to form a little bit what we think of when we think of the word soul. Now, I grew up on Long Island, New York, so East Coast. I wasn't exposed to much country music growing up as a child, but I do remember a song by the Charlie Daniels Band that talks about how the devil went down to Georgia looking for a soul to steal. Right, okay, so we know that one. Well, that's a little odd, right? But beyond bedtime prayers and song lyrics, we use this word soul a lot. We may not even realize it. I'm looking for or have found my 
soulmate. Uh, that person is a lost soul. That guy, that guy, Sean, eh, he's got a lot of problems, bless his soul, right? We've heard that. Sorry, Sean, I love you, man. Um, but, you know, we've, we've heard people say that, bless his soul. Peyton Manning has been called the soul of the Colts for the 18 years he played here in Indianapolis. Just like Steve Jobs was the soul of Apple until he passed in 2011. Now, to make sure I did all the extensive research I needed to do to understand this topic, I watched this movie recently on an airplane. It's a movie by Pixar. It's actually a pretty good movie. It's the story of a, a music teacher named Joe Gardner and his desire and his journey to reunite his soul with his body after a sudden accident. And friends, that's what I thought of, spiritually speaking, when it comes to this thing called the soul, that it's this part of us that will exist somewhere in the great beyond after our time here on earth. Now, what's interesting is that the word soul appears in the Bible over 750 times. But rarely does it talk about this thing that will exist forever. In fact, in the first part of the Bible, the part of the Bible we call the Old Testament, before Jesus comes to earth, that word it, it's, it, it, that part of the Bible is written in Hebrew, and that word is, for soul is the word nephesh. And it's the word that actually is translated as throat. The part, of the, the part of the body where air and food pass through to sustain life. Now in the New Testament, this word soul appears 98 times, and it's pronounced suke. It's where we get our English word for psyche. Now, 58 times this word is translated as soul, but 40 times the word is translated as life. Like when Jesus said this in his first sermon, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. In that verse, in those verses, the word life is the same word used elsewhere for the word soul. Later in his ministry, Jesus said, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever wants to lo loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. Again, that word life is the same word used in other places in the Bible as the word for soul. And when Jesus was describing his mission, why he came to earth, he said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, that word life is the same word suke used for soul. Well, what then is the soul? Well, to be honest, the Bible does not give us a specific definition of the word soul. But theologian Dallas Willard tried to explain it like this. He said, what is running your life at any given moment is your soul. Not your external circumstances, not your thoughts, not your intentions, not even your feelings, but your soul. The soul is that aspect of your whole being that correlates and integrates and enlivens everything going on in the various dimensions of the self. The soul is the life center of human beings. 
In his book, Soul Keeping, John Ortberg put it this way. He said, your soul is what integrates and connects and binds together your heart, which is your will, your thoughts, which is your mind, and your strength, your habits and behaviors. So people way smarter than me are telling us that the soul is like a bucket, okay? And the soul is the bucket that contains our heart, which is our will, and our brain, which is how we think, and our strength, that this is the function of the soul, the container that holds together, that binds together, that enlivens these things in our life. Now, in a time when more therapists and doctors are talking about the importance of self-care, it would be really tempting for us to just push pause and look at scriptures that teach us how to care for this mysterious thing called the soul. But if we did that, I believe we would miss God's greater purpose for why he gave us the soul to begin with. Look how John Ortberg continues his description of the soul. He said, God designed us so that our choices, our thoughts and desires, and our behavior would be in perfect harmony with each other and would be powered by an unbroken connection to God. So follow this. He said that God designed us so that our mind and our strength and our heart would be in perfect harmony with one another, working together, and that they would be powered by an unbroken connection to God. Friends, God designed our soul to be connected to and empowered by him. And we see evidence of this all the way back in the very beginning of the Bible, where God made the earth and the moon and the stars and the planets and the plants and the animals. And then God made man and woman in his own image. Male and female, he created them, the Bible says, and gave them this thing called a soul. Well, why? So that they, they can live in relationship with him. They can be connected to and empowered by him. But if you know the story, you know that Adam and Eve chose to do their own thing. And they chose to follow their own plans rather than God's plan, which caused the connection between God and humanity to be broken. And the whole rest of the Bible is God's story, God's effort, God's desire to bring humanity back to how they were created, connected to and empowered by him. And the Bible has lots to say about the benefits of a soul connected to God and our reluctance, our struggle to remain there. Look at these words. This was written by a man named David who used to herd sheep for a living. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. And as a result of God being my shepherd, I will not be in need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. 
Friends, the Bible tells us time and again that our soul was designed to rest in God's presence, and yet we live at an unsustainable pace of life. I mean, let's just say the obvious. Chances are, if you're alive right now, which all of us are, then you're busy. Whether you're the president of a company or you're a stay-at-home mom, you're busy. Whether you're a teacher or a student, you're busy. Whether you're young, middle-aged, older, married, single, with kids, no kids, you're busy. We're all busy. You want to know something? Jesus was busy. I mean, he was. He had three years to introduce a new way of living into God's kingdom, and in those same three years, to try to teach these men and women who were following him, how to carry on his message. But have you ever noticed that as busy as Jesus was, Jesus was never hurried? And friends, there's a big difference on the soul between being busy and being hurried. Look at what it's like to be busy. Look at this list. Busy, it's a full schedule with lots of activities. That's physically demanding, but it reminds us of our need for God. Busy is not a bad thing. In fact, especially on that last part, if it reminds us of our need for God. But look at what it means to live a hurried life. Hurried is being preoccupied in our mind all the time, always thinking about what's next. It's unable to be fully present in the different activities we're involved in. It's an inner and spiritually draining condition of the soul that causes us to be unavailable for God. Now, you're in the middle of a series on spiritual disciplines. This, these different practices that posture ourselves in a way that allow us to connect with God, to hear from God, to talk to God in, in various ways. And if we're living a hurried lifestyle, then we won't be able to practice spiritual disciplines because we're constantly on the go, constantly thinking about what's next, and we are living at an unsustainable pace of life, and so we have no time for God. Everyone's busy, but are you living hurried? And if so, what is that doing to your soul, the thing that was designed to be connected to God? There's a world-renowned cardiologist. His name is Meyer Friedman, and he came up with a diagnosis called hurry sickness. And this is how he defined this diagnosis. He defined it as a continuous struggle, an unremitting attempt to accomplish more and more events in less and less time. Does that feel like anyone else's life right now? Can I tell you something crazy? <laughs> he came up with this diagnosis and this definition in the 1950s. And now it's 70 years later and our souls are crushed by our hurried pace of life. We are more irritable and sensitive and restless than ever before. 
And we know we can't maintain this pace, but we don't know how to stop. And so with mixed up priorities, we wind up trying to numb the pain we feel in our hurried lives, which only leads to further frustration and guilt and shame. And if that sounds familiar to anyone, please know that you're not alone. A little over three years ago, I switched roles at the church that I serve, and I was leading worship for eight years, and then I was invited to move into a different role, I w and I now currently oversee our adult discipleship department at, at the Creek, and I love what I do. I mean, I, I love leading worship, but I really love what I do now. I get to work alongside some great staff and lead them and work alongside such awesome volunteers and together do some really cool things. But that transition was really challenging for all the obvious reasons. I mean, we were switching a whole discipleship pathway. We were realigning some seats on the bus. So staff, I was helping maneuver some staff into some different roles. We were hiring someone. And all of this took place right around the time that my oldest son, Josh, was headed off to college. He was just about to graduate and head off to school. And so in the midst of all the changes at church and my new role and trying to learn a new team and all the, all the switching, I was also trying to learn how to parent adulting children, which nothing prepares you for, right? It's this beautiful opportunity to launch your kids into the world, but it's also this really weird, like, how much do I parent? How much do I not? Uh, if I parent, are they even listening, right? I mean, it's just... This really weird and beautiful, but it's, you know, added to the stress. And then on top of that, COVID comes, which wrecked all of our worlds, right? I mean, in ministry, we were trying to figure out how to do this thing called church when nobody can be together. And so adding all of that up, I wasn't just living a busy life. I was living a hurried life with all the symptoms, I was irritable, I was sensitive, I was frenzied, I was emotionally numb, and I was frustrated, and to be completely transparent, I was feeling very distant from God. Until about a year ago when I was sitting in a counselor's office, and she asked me a bunch of questions, and then clinically diagnosed me with burnout. I was done, I was fried, I couldn't do it anymore. And so our elders at the church that I serve at, they, they know the impact that ministry has. And so they provide a sabbatical for our ministry staff every so many years that we serve. And so I got to take a sabbatical, which is essentially an extended time away from the work responsibilities, specifically so I can connect my soul once again to God. And as great of a time as the sabbatical was, it, I got to be honest, it was really difficult. Because at first what I did was I just carried my busyness, my hurriedness from work, and I just brought it home. So I was doing projects, and I was trying to get stuff done until finally, over time, God showed me a better way to live. Now, you may not be able to take a sabbatical, an extended time away from your daily responsibilities. I mean, you may be thinking, man, I just love 15 minutes of peace and quiet in my house. But this better way of living 
It's actually something Jesus has been inviting his followers to for over 2,000 years. And it's available to everyone, everywhere. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 11. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. This thing called a yoke, it's a farming tool. And it's used to put two animals together. And what they'll often do is take an older, more experienced animal and yoke it, connect it next to a younger, less experienced animal while, this is important, together they do the work that needs to be done. Friends, this is our invitation from Jesus to live connected to him, to travel by his side, learning from him how to shoulder the burden of our days, moving from burnout to soul rest. And to do this, the first thing we need to do is reject any shame that we might feel for in the past living a hurried life. There's all kinds of reasons why we live hurried. Uh, some of it I mentioned already, we don't know how to stop. Uh, another reason is that we maybe have some difficult relationships in our life that require some conversations, and if we just stay hurried, then we don't have to have those. Maybe some of it is we have this need to be needed. There's some insecurity, and so if I just stay hurried, then I'll, then I'll find value in that. Some of it is maybe that we just like the stuff that money buys when we stay hurried and make money. There's all kinds of reasons why we stay hurried, but in order to move from hurry to rest, we need to reject any shame that we might feel for our past hurried lifestyle. Friends, shame is not from God. Shame disconnects us from God. But instead, I believe we need to do three specific things to move from hurry to rest. We need to accept our limitations, confess to God, and remember that we never walk alone. I'm going to just share a painful truth for some of us. It's going to be hard for some of us to hear. You have limitations. I have limitations. And one of the reasons we live a hurried life is that we don't accept the fact that we have limited time or limited energy or limited resources or limited, uh, we, that we have limited abilities. Like you, you can't do everything. I can't do everything. We have limited control. That one hurts. And once we accept the fact that we're not superhuman, we can confess to God the times that we've chosen to use a good deal of our free time to get lost in a Netflix, TV show, social media, games on our phone, or hobbies and interests that we hoped would bring lasting rest, but really don't. And then we need to remember the last thing that Jesus said to his followers. I am with you always. One of the things I've been trying to do since my sabbatical earlier this year is just be reminded throughout the day that God is with me. 
which we're actually, I will say out loud two or three times throughout the day, Jesus, you're with me. Thank you, God, that you're with me. Thank you, God, for your Holy Spirit living inside of me. I am not alone. I, literally, there'll be a reminder that goes off on my phone every once in a while. Oh, I'm not alone. And I, I don't know about you, but I need reminding that I am not alone, that I have someone who wants to help carry the burden of life. And friends, Jesus knew that the best thing that he could give a hurried soul is a better way to carry our daily responsibilities with him by our side. Here's another purpose for the soul that's found in Scripture. Our soul was designed to be fully satisfied in God, and yet we often want more. Listen to these words from Psalm 42. We read, As the deer pants for streams of living water, so my soul longs after you, O God. My soul thirsts for God the living God. This isn't just a cry to God. This is a declaration, an acknowledgement of our design with our soul connected to God, to be satisfied in him. Here's another one. This is one of my favorite verses when you think about this. David writes, because your, your steadfast love is better than life, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. Now, at the risk of causing you to start thinking about lunch, I want you to think about your favorite food when it's prepared really well. That first bite of that steak or burger or brisket, that first bite of pizza, that first bite of a good dessert or a good pasta dish or a good taco or a good watermelon, that first bite. And I know like I've lost most of you right now. You're all thinking about lunch. But think about your first bite of your favorite food prepared really well. This is, you, this is what you don't do. Eh, that was all right. I think I'll stop at one bite. Right? No, you do the opposite. Man, that was so good. I'm going to eat more of that. And if you're like me, too much more of that. Can I just share with you a truth that I believe God wants us to know? That your soul was designed to find satisfaction like that in God. Where your soul is fully satisfied where you taste and see, Scripture says, that God is good. And when you're connected to him, you go, ah, oh, that is so good. I want more of that. Friends, our soul, our soul was designed to find satisfaction like that in God, but we seem to always crave more, don't we? We look for the better house or the newer car or the newer clothes or the different relationship or the better job. Let's just take our jobs, for example. There's a research group from the University of Chicago, and they found the 10 jobs that people were most miserable in and the 10 jobs people were happiest in. 
And what they found is that the 10 jobs that people were most miserable in were the ones that paid the highest and they offered the highest level of status. The jobs that people were, uh, were happiest in, they had lower pay, lower status, but they offered a higher overall level of satisfaction. Please hear this. The main thing you bring home from your place of employment is not a paycheck. It's your soul. And to a world that is always craving more, the grass always being greener, Jesus warned this. What good is it for a person to, to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? The very thing designed to be connected to God. Which leads us to the next struggle we face. Our soul was designed for gratitude, and yet we often feel entitled. Another study was done of 186 retired men and women, and they asked these retirees to rate their level of overall gratitude for the people, places, and things in their life. And they found something interesting. They found that the retirees that had the highest level of gratitude were also the physically healthiest people. And the retirees that had the lowest level of gratitude were also the most with the physical, most physical problems. Now, how is that possible? Because our souls were designed for gratitude, and not just gratitude with life, but specifically gratitude with God. James, the half-brother of Jesus, reminds us that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father who created all the lights in the heavens. But we find ourselves not just living with ingratitude, we find ourselves feeling entitled, don't we? Not just being ungrateful, but feeling like we deserve more than what we have. And some of us, we think, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just tired of being single. I deserve to be in a relationship. Listen, I'm a hard worker. I deserve a pay raise and an extra vacation. Forget about the fact that I have a job. I mean, I, just, I deserve more. Listen, I work hard. I deserve to come home and park my rear end on the couch and watch some TV and buy whatever I want with my money. We rationalize entitlement. And yet God designed us for something different. He designed us to be grateful in who he is. And friends, the more we think we are entitled to, the less we'll be grateful for what we already have. And God has given us so much. And our soul was designed for gratitude, and yet we often feel entitled for more. Try this experiment sometime. This would be a fun experiment for you to do. Pick a day throughout your week and complain out loud about everything. How you feel, what you see, your friends, your work, what you wish you had. For some of us, this won't be a stretch. And then, watch how people respond around you. And watch how you feel at the end of your day. Try that on one day. 
And then the very next day, be grateful for everything. Out loud to people, everyone you see. Your relative health and wealth compared to the rest of the world. The beauty outside, even if it's a little foggy or cold or rainy. The food in your refrigerator, the clothes that you have, your job, everything. And then see the difference that it makes in the people around you that you love in their life and in your own and how you feel at the end of the day. I love this quote from evangelist Billy Graham. He said, grumbling and gratitude are for the child of God in conflict. Be grateful and you won't grumble. Grumble and you won't be grateful. And this from Chuck Swindoll, he said, gratitude is a decision of the will. The choice resides squarely on us. Deciding to be thankful is no easy task. It takes work. Friends, one of the ways that we can love God with our soul is if we just learned to be grateful and not live entitled. And so I want to challenge you with something. Seriously, I'm going to ask if you try this. I'm not going to call you up and see if you did it, but I just want to encourage you with an exercise. When you get up in the morning and you reach for your phone, which we all do, right? And you, instead of checking the weather or your email or your messages or your social media or play a game, right? Whatever it is, open up the app on your phone and you all have one where you can take notes, And write down, before you get up out of bed, three things that you're thankful for that day. And then set an alarm once or twice throughout your day, whether it's on your phone or on your watch or wherever you can set an alarm, where you will open up that app and read what you're thankful for. Now, by the end of the week, you're going to have a pretty good list of some things that you're thankful for. And don't you think that's going to do something to your soul? That it was designed to find gratitude specifically in what God has given us? Friends, one of the ways we can love God with our soul is by cultivating a grateful heart. And here's the last one we have time for, and I think it sums up all the others. Our soul was designed to to follow God's instructions, and yet we doubt that his ways are best. Peter, one of Jesus' closest followers, was trying to help Christians live in the world without living like the world does. You understand what I'm saying? Like this thing where we're supposed to live in the world without living like the world does without Jesus. And he's trying to help them do this when he wrote, Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Friends, the war that's going on in our soul is this, is this war called sin. And the Bible defines sin as knowing the good we should do and choosing not to do it. It's this battle that's raging within us, and it all revolves entirely around our answer to this question. Is God's way the best way to live? Is God's way the best way? You see, there's this misconception about Christianity that somehow following God stands in the way of a good life. That if we decide to follow God's instructions, it's somehow going to just suck the life right out of us. 
with all these rules and regulations and all these things that we can't do. When in fact, the opposite is true. Following God's instructions actually brings life. Look at these words from Psalm 19. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Now, some of the issues and misconceptions that we've had about this thing called following God and how it sucks the life right out of us, some of those misconceptions are from legalistic Christians who've taken the Bible to places it was never meant to be taken. Because so we just need to acknowledge that. A part of the stigma of Christianity being this just killjoy is from legalistic Christians who've taken the Bible to where it's never supposed to be taken. But some of it, if we're honest, comes from the world not seeing Christians living out God's instructions and the joy that that brings in our life. And the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. That following God actually brings life and joy and love and peace and experiencing God's presence like we've never experienced it before. And can I just say that if you feel disconnected in your soul from God, it could be that you know the, the good you ought to do and you've chosen to live exactly opposite of God's plan for your life. You think, well, you know, the Bible says that God loves me and like, you know, I, I don't doubt that maybe he sent Jesus for me, but I'm just not quite sure that his ways for my life are best. So I'm going to kind of do my own thing. And the number of people that tell me on a regular basis, Tom, I really feel disconnected from God, but then they acknowledge it's not God who moved, it's them, right? And that may be you. And you maybe feel like, man, I am so far from God, I don't know how to get back. Or, does he even want me back? And friends, can I just tell you the good news of the gospel? The Bible tells us that while we were still sinners, while we were living in direct opposition to God's plan for our life, God came through Jesus to forgive us of our sins so that we can once again be connected and empowered by the creator and sustainer of the universe. That's the good news of the gospel. That while we were living in direct opposition to his plans, he sent Jesus that we might have life and experience what it means to be connected to him. Where is your soul right now? Is it connected to God? Where do you feel disconnected from God? Maybe you find yourself living in this hurried pace of life. Maybe you find yourself trying to find satisfaction in everything except God. Maybe you have yet to really cultivate a lifestyle of gratitude. You all know that person who's just grumbling all the time. You don't want to be that person. 
Maybe you are that person. And God wants you to find gratitude in all the things that he's given. Can we just do something? Everyone take a deep breath. That's a gift from God, friends. The breath of life is a gift. And you may not be satisfied with how you look or your body. I mean, I'm getting older. My back is just all kinds of messed up. And I can sit around and complain about how I feel or I could be thankful that I can walk, that I can breathe, that I can talk, that I have clothes, that I have food. And for some of us, we need to cultivate a sense of gratitude in all the things that God has given us. Maybe your soul feels disconnected from God because you've chosen to walk your own way instead of trusting that his ways are best. Friends, to love God with our souls, we do that when we rest in him, when we're satisfied in him, when we're grateful and not entitled, and when we accept his invitation to be connected to him and to find all we are in his plans for our life. And I believe that as we put these spiritual disciplines into practice and we carve out some time and we set aside some things to do, some spiritual disciplines, and we're grateful, and I think our lives are different as a result because we're living how we're designed to be connected and empowered by God. And if we do that, I believe our prayer will be the prayer of David in Psalm 103 when he said, Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. What are his benefits? He forgives all your sin. Not some of them, not most of them, all of them. And he heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit, and he crowns you with love and compassion. He takes a crown of love and, uh, and compassion, and he places it on every single one of our heads. And he satisfies your desires with good things, not the things you think are good, the things he knows are good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles, that you're not exhausted, you're not burnt out, you're not living a hurried life, you find rest in God's presence. That is my prayer for all of us, that our souls would be connected to God. Let me pray for us. Father God, we just thank you for the reminder of your word that teaches us your plan, your desire, your hope that our souls would be connected to you. God, forgive us for the times that we wander away, that we get lost in the journey, that we get distracted by what the world is bringing to us, that when we think our way is better than yours, when we are entitled and not grateful. God, I pray that you would continue to show us the better way to live. Thank you, God, for Jesus. Thank you, God, for the invitation, just like it was in the beginning, to be invited once again to be connected to you moment by moment, day by day. God, may our lives reflect that connection, not just for ourselves, that we would feel good, but for the world around us, for our families, for our communities, for the world that needs to know the love and grace of Jesus. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.
Amen.